Hey guys, it's me, Blush Cameron, and I want to welcome you to the very first episode of my podcast, which is called Blush Cameron's New Podcast. It is the newest podcast that there is, and it's one where I talk to my friends, um, mostly artists and musicians, um, and we talk about their history playing music, or making stuff, (laughs) or about whatever else comes up, and, um, Today, the first episode is with my friend, Brennan Greaves, formerly of the band um, Pity Sex, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which, as some people might know, that's where I'm from, too. So, there was a lot to talk about. Um, I guess that's pretty much it for the intro. Please enjoy... Please bear with me as I learn how to do this. I have a bunch of episodes already recorded, so there will be more where this came from. Thanks for listening. Do you have specific questions prepared? Yeah, I mean, we'll just talk. I have some, like, I have bullet points of, like, what to go through. Like, first of all, like, I don't know. I wanted to ask if you remember how we know each other. Because I don't remember when we first met. <laughs> yeah, that's but a great question. it's a fucking long time ago, That I also right? don't think I have a, um, a, a specific answer to. Because I, I don't know. I started coming around the frat, the frat, the metal frat, which is um, where... Is it fair to say you started, like, playing shows at the frat? Or, like, what was your first band, um, first of all? Oh, I had played plenty of shows before ever going to the metal frat. They were <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, the kind of places when you're, like, a teenager in high school that you play. Okay, so yeah. I had played in... A bunch of different bands with the same people, you know, basically from like sixth or seventh grade on. But, you know, as we just like grew up real fast through those through those years, we just were constantly changing the name of the band and the style of the band and like the songs we were trying to cover and play at like, I don't know, our friend our friends like shitty house parties that nobody went to. Like that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I I guess like the longest like iteration of that was like kind of a like a screamo band we had in high school. Um, what was that band called? I I mean I almost hesitate to say it's like <laughs> okay. it's this is you gotta you this gotta, is the these, this is the dark some serious the dark these past. are some serious cringe years this is non canon the history yeah it's non canon. This isn't. This is. I mean, I don't know if any of that stuff is on the internet still. Like, you know, okay. it was. There was definitely a MySpace page for it. It was that that time, but maybe it's gone. Who knows? Well, if anybody. But anyways, you know, we played. Like, <laughs> we 
we played some graduation parties. Nice. We played. Uh, there was a there was an internet cafe out in Can Michigan. MySpace cafe. Um, different than that, I I I can't remember the name of it exactly. Um, but it was an internet cafe off Ford Road in Can. Damn, I wonder if we were uh, going to like the same shows, like. Probably. I mean, I met I met a few people back then when I was in high school playing shows at like, you know, those sorts of like teen hang spots, like cafes and like 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 youth center. Oh yeah. <laughs> sort of sort of like shows. Um, Definitely. Like even a few like church functions, you know. Just oh, yeah. like wherever I don't know, we would just play in the basement and then occasionally go out and do something like that. And, so I mean, it never really went too far beyond that, but that was those. Those were like my first experiences of like playing shows. Yeah. When did you start? You know, playing? Maybe once or twice. Maybe once or twice driving out to like Lansing or Kalamazoo to play something, but that was really about it. Right. So you you started playing like guitar first. Yeah. Yeah. I always played guitar in in all those in all those bands when we were. And so you, you know, do you're doing it as a just teenager. Yeah. How yeah. did you get into um, like alternative and like hardcore and whatnot? Um I mean I got I mean I I got a guitar probably around age twelve or thirteen, an electric guitar. Um and that's around the same time, you know I don't know, I guess there were a few different like streams of influence going on at that time. Um, like, like, you know, there was a mainstream influence, like bands like the strokes and stuff were, were pretty huge bands like Interpol and that sort of, that sort of stuff was, was like on TV and like in advertising and whatnot. So I, I definitely listened to those bands like white stripes and stuff. Those were like early bands that made me want to like play guitar and learn songs. And Uh so there's that. Um, but I mean, I have an older brother, he's like three, three and a half years older than me. Um, and he was, was a pretty big, like musical influence as far as just like, you know, stealing CDs out of his, out of his car or his room or, you know, even just him directly telling me what to check out. I always wanted to, to sort of do what he was doing. Um, and he, he got into, he got into like, you know, new metal into like punk into like hardcore and like metal and all those different things like over, over his high school years. So I, I definitely had that influence as well going on. And then older, <laughs> older brothers of, of friends of mine, you know, people I was playing music with, uh, also, you know, having an influence. So, you know, Sean, who, who I grew up playing music with drummer and pity sex, his older brother, Brian, uh, listen to a lot of like a lot of punk and hardcore that I probably would not have discovered otherwise. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was it's probably around late middle school that sort of stuff was going on, you know. Yeah, it's definitely cool how like new metal was really like the gateway f- for a lot of people. Even for me, like the band that you know, l- besides Linkin Park, but. Um, like for me, it was Deftones, like really opened my mind to like heavy music and like screaming in music. And after that, it's oh, like, yeah, that's yeah. all I wanted to listen to was like screaming. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Deftones were one of those bands for sure. I remember seeing them 
perform on uh, uh, David Letterman's late night show and uh, definitely having my mind blown a little bit there. Um, yeah. yeah, my, my brother would go, he would, he would go to the, to the library near our house and like rent CDs and they, they had bands of that, of that caliber of that popularity available. So uh-huh. he would just, he just bring them home and like put them onto the computer. That's awesome. So I definitely, I definitely owe him, uh, you know, in some, in some way for, for taking the time to like do that sort of stuff. And and show me a lot of bands and were, were you on myspace yeah I, I i definitely was was a part of that whole thing when it was going on i mean it was really the only thing available like it at the time so yeah true it was a big deal to to like just flaunt what you were into and throw oh, yeah. it in people's faces and as soon as they opened up your your personal web page there. They you got just, all your you favorites. Get, they would just yeah. get blasted in the face with whatever whatever the fuck you were into. Yeah. I mean that just stuff was music, a lot. Music music starts going, but I mean it was it was great. I saw something just the other day kind of talking about Tom in MySpace and how altruistic he was, how he taught quite a few people basic HTML and like really didn't try to like fuck with people's privacy or turn it into like what a lot of social media is now today pretty pretty bankrupt yeah morally and and kind of just messed up yeah Anyways. for sure i mean it's it's yeah, scary my space. Space it was just a place it was just a place for friends you know? a more innocent time for sure in some ways i suppose um so yeah you're playing you saw you learned about this uh you know like alternative music through your brother and your uh, Sean's uh, older brother, and um, yes, uh, and then playing music in high school, and then you guys got to college, which is. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Like, you were a noob when you went to oh, <laughs> metal. Sorry, dude, your 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 end is breaking up a little bit again. Hey, I check. didn't quite. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Well, right. anyways, for people that don't know, metal frat is a fraternity in Ann Arbor associated with the U of M. And it's like a kind of, I don't know, if it's pseudo fraternity. Like it's a frat, but it's not, it doesn't do like the Greek stuff or something. Um, I mean, as far as I know, it, it, it definitely did at one time. You know, it operated under like Greek letters and was, you know, up through... Most of like the nineties into the two thousands, it was it was part of like the Greek, whatever it is, council. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, they made they made like a decision to like leave that at some point um, to kind of operate under um, a bit of their own set of rules. Um, but there is like a there aren't there's other Sigma Phi chapters all over the country, and they they're part of like a larger you know Sigma Phi. Uh, fraternal order um but there's yeah there's been some pretty major changes going on especially more recently with opening up to um you know be be a little more inclusive to all genders and yeah. uh i know it's been a pretty big fight between some of some of the older active alumni and and some of the 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 younger you know current members of the house the people that are making it happen and, and getting 
getting new people interested and keeping it alive. Yeah. It's been a whole, it's been a whole crazy thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's changed a lot over the years, but at one point it was, it was, you know, like a, a pretty traditional fraternity. I think at some point in the nineties, it kind of, it, 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 I I think it started to, to, to move more to like an, an alternative way of existing as far as fraternities go. And then, um, yeah, it's. I guess so. You know, probably when they, early, early to mid two thousands, they started. They started doing parties where, where live music was a main a main element of the party, mm-hmm. and I think just as as the interests of the people involved in the house changed over time, just more and more people were interested in heavy music. So that's that's the kind of music that that was booked and performed at the parties, and over time that that went from parties to more more run like a DIY venue um and for a few years there yeah it kind of operated as like a a pretty pop and DIY hardcore space oh yeah that was I remember my first show going to the metal frat I was um it's probably like 17 and it was the swellers were playing and I remember seeing Sean near the door and Sean, who drummed in Pity Sex, and uh, I, we just were too like intimidated to like actually go in because like we're not even eighteen and like we're, like uh, are we allowed to be here? So we just left. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of fond memories at that place. And that's when you in college you started Direwolf, right? Right. Yeah. Direwolf um... is a hardcore band that you're in with Sean. Again, from the yeah. Sex. So I, I mean, just to like, I guess make it make it clear. Like, I was, I was never a, like a brother or me, a yeah, official oh, member yeah. of, of the metal frat. Yeah, sure. I never went to U of M either. Yeah, same here. Um, I went to Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, uh, next next city over. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, spent a lot of time. Uh, had close friends that I played music with that were members of the of the fraternity and. You spent a short amount of time living in the house over summer break when a lot of people move out. They they kind of will rent out some spaces to people who are interested and people who may be affiliated with the house in some way. So I guess as far as, far as affiliation goes, that's that's what was up. Um, but yeah, when when my my friends that I played music with, you know, Sean and Michael. Um, People I had grown up with were pretty close with over the years. You know, when they started to get more active with the house, I kind of just, by association, became more active in the house. Mm-hmm. And around that time, yeah, is when we is when we started up that band Direwolf. Um, and kind of as as the house grew, as the shows got bigger, that band kind of grew with it. It was a, um, it was a, yeah, kind of a nice way to like put your put your band's name. <laughs> Oh yeah. On the map, you can just I mean they were they were bo- they were basically running things and booking the booking all the shows, so we got to hop on quite a few um pretty pretty sick shows at that at that house. What do you remember like what the sickest show was around then? Does anything um, stand out to you? I mean, there were there were some that uh, that that got pretty wild, but you know, weren't like weren't like 
at capacity or anything. And then there were other shows where it was like, you know, over capacity, just so many people showed up. It was insane. So I guess as far as those go, um, there was a, there was a weekend Nacho show that happened at the house. They're like kind of a power violence-y down tune, hardcore metal band from, uh, from Chicago, but they, they played the house and, uh, and it got it got very rowdy. It was it was a good time though. They're they're a great band. Um, they don't they don't play anymore, but they're definitely definitely a good one. <laughs> um, and I would say as far as just like insane attendance, uh, they managed to get Andrew WK to play a set. Oh yeah, at the house and that one that one really got out of hand. Yeah, there was just too many people and that one was insane. It just took forever for to to like get things rolling and like get that dude <laughs> there <laughs> and down in that room. Um, yeah, I remember a couple of people kind of getting sick from the heat. It just it was yeah. it was gnarly. You couldn't stay down. That's but crazy. it happened. I mean, it it, it did happen. So, uh, pity sex was like twenty ten. Is that when it started? Um, twenty eleven. Probably accurate to say things started forming around around maybe 20 late 2010 that's probably that's probably around the time that we at least knew of each other's existence yeah yeah definitely i mean i'm i'm you you asked earlier like if i remember exactly when we had met each other and it's hard to say but if i mean if I'm going to take an educated guess here, it's probably through Chris at some point at the house oh, when he had joined. Definitely. Yeah, I would say so. At some point when, you know, Direwolf had done that final show at the house, um, plans for, for a new band were like forming, but like it wasn't going to be as heavy as that band. You know, that band was more of like a metallic hardcore sound. And I think we were all interested in doing something different. And just our tastes in general were expanding into more like, I don't know, non-heavy territory. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think Chris had started Brave Bird somewhere around that time, 2010. And, uh, I mean, you, you were doing music at that time too. Like, oh, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of around the time, like, like, Right before you know, we had we had made that that collective web page, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that online presence, <laughs> Ann Arbor, the Ann Arbor Emo Collective, which was the Bra- Emo Collective, Brave Bird, right. yeah. Pity Sex, and then the Fail Son, Gerald Field, which was my the, band. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Field, correct. It was those bands, and then I think eventually, eventually a couple more youth novel, yeah, youth novel on there as well. Um, I mean, I didn't think much of it at the time, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, I was, I was playing guitar in Brave Bird. You were? And, uh, for, for a time, yeah. Oh. We were, I was doing, we were doing practice. I mean, I mean, Chris was, uh, he was a main creative force in that band, but there were just like, there were a lot of people playing, playing music at that time. So people were kind of shifting around. Yeah. And Eventually, eventually, eventually Terry became that that main guitar player in that band and that's when that's when sean and i started writing stuff for pity sex that oh, first that first demo um and chris and we did a chris recorded. and that's that's yeah yeah that's how that that split cassette came about 
um, it was like the demo that we had written as a uh, as a three piece band, Sean, Brandon, and I, and then Brave Birds, Brave Birds EP that they had they had written put out, you know, just online. So we put those on cassette. It's got you know, it's the pick of Chris and I dressed up as as Batman. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even have a copy of that anymore. I think we only did like fifty of them. And that then, was the very first release. They're gone. They're out there. Yeah. Before, but, um... but that was the first official release of of. I think maybe both bands, if I'm not mistaken. Dark World was uh, 2011. 2012. Really, that's crazy. Yeah. My memory, I feel like it's earlier because i saw that we tracked it yeah 2012 it may maybe we had started things in late 2011 it's possible but we we record finished recording it britty had moved to the area to start school and like kind of in that recording process is when she she started writing writing stuff to finish that ep and then she she added vocals to that that record that record as well uh-huh. so that was all happening at that time um we got hit up by not long after you know just putting it online on a band camp um you know throwing it on on the websites of choice at the time like a tumblr and tumblr band camp whatever else we had going um we got hit up by a label in Ah, oh, shit. A different label. Minneapolis. Then. Pretty sure it was Minneapolis. You're not talking about Run a for la- Cover, obviously. No, no. This was this was before we signed to Run for Cover. This was a label in Minneapolis called Forward Records. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a couple dudes that were like, had some money <laughs> and were into really into music and... Um, it was, it was pretty like low profile, especially at the time. Um, I didn't really know any of the releases they had done, even though they had done a few, I mean, you know, we listened to them and musically, some of it was like sort of up our alley, but they were nice people and they, you know, no, no official contract was signed, but they offered to press like something like four or 500 copies of dark world on vinyl on 12 inch. It's like a 12 inch EP. Um, you know, we would get a percentage of that. They would get a percentage. We would sell them and that would be it, you know, just like go our separate ways or whatever. Or if it went well, like maybe do something in the future. Um, but yeah, we, we did like a self book tour that ended with like a show somewhere around Minneapolis. We played, picked up those records from those guys and played like this really fucking weird club. They... They kind of, like, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate the fact that they took an interest in, like, and pressed that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the whole thing was just, like, slightly bizarre. A little strange, especially mm. for me at the time. Why is that? Um, it, was just, it was just weird to, like, have people, like, want to front and, and like, make, make something like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were fairly eccentric when we met them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the show itself we played was with a few of the other bands, you know, quote unquote, that were signed to their label. Oh God! And uh, 
it was just like a, a weird, weird kind of wacky show with, with pretty low attendance. And yeah. uh, it's clear they had just like shelled out quite a bit to like try to make it seem like sort of extravagant. Okay, I'm starting to get <laughs> um, it. I'm, I get the picture. You know, That's right. Very and awkward. It all, it, all, it all culminated with one of the other bands breaking a microphone during their set and, and the owners of the club basically like refusing to hand over the money at oh the end God. of the night some argument went down and the whole thing was just like all right we're gonna we're gonna grab these nice records you press for us and we're, we're gonna we're gonna head home now so Yeesh. thanks thanks for thanks for the hospitality see you later well how do you feel um, about how do you feel about dark world these days is it do you think does it have you listened to it recently at all i mean to be honest i haven't i've i've kind of i've moved on in a lot of ways um from like all the music really it it really kind of kind of exists on its own at this point Mm -hmm. um i've 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 gone back and forth you know over the years listening to it and feeling pretty good about it listening to it and feeling like uh it's not quite what i remember but you know i think that happens with everybody and the things they create yeah, um, I will say those memories change over time. I don't want to jump too far ahead. I want to ask about how Run for Cover happened, but I will say like the the jump in production and songwriting from Dark World to Feast of Love is pretty crazy. Um, so how how did uh, we'll get to that? Um, how how did Run for Cover hit you guys up? Um, I think it was somewhere around 2012. We booked. It was a roughly like three week tour out to uh out to california and then back home so we kind of cut down through the midwest and then headed west and then looped back around and then and then headed back you know in, into the midwest to, towards the chicago and great lakes area mm-hmm. um and uh about i don't know two days into that that self-booked tour that we had done you know, we had we had some some vinyl records that we could sell. We had that we had Dark World. You know, we were kind of ruminating on what we were going to do for another release. But at that point, it was just like uh, we just wanted to do a tour like that. You know, Brittany was still in school. Sean and I were working coffee. Brandon was, I think, also working coffee at the at that time. You know, just service service shit. So we just wanted to go and like do a do a tour to the best of our abilities at that time you know with what we had so we had the we had that pressing from forward um i mean sean over the years booking at the metal frat had a decent amount of contacts around the country Brittany also was booking in grand rapids um you know doing diy stuff either out of her own basement or different locations in grand rapids so you know she had plenty of connections herself um, so they just together kind of made it happen. And, uh, a few days into that one, we got hit up by run for cover with an offer, uh, to do, to do a record deal. Um, you know, all those details enclosed and to like, you know, take some time and, and read it over and consider it and like get back to them. But that was wild. Yeah. We kind of just like put it to the side for a second. Cause I mean, we were we were just like dealing with basically our first like real, you know, 
DIY tour that was more than just like an extended weekend, you know, to a neighboring state and back or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a lot at the moment. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how much personal stuff I'm going to end up divulging throughout all this stuff. You know, I don't know what, what you're all curious about, but you know, at that time too, Brittany was, was going through a pretty heavy personal loss that prevented her from playing the first, gosh, I don't know, maybe like 10 or so shows of that tour. She met up with us later on after, oh, interesting. you know, processing and dealing with, with that whole thing um, back home. So yeah, it was wild. There was that going on. We were playing those shows without her for the first leg of the tour. Uh, you know, the online plays through the band camp were increasing. So we were seeing like a rise there. And then all of a sudden we get hit up by, you know, run for cover um, to talk about, you know, signing and doing that thing. So there was, there was a lot going on in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. That so we finished that, crazy. we finished that tour. Um, Gritty met up with us later on and we, we had like a pretty serious talk about like everything that was happening. And, uh, uh, at about the halfway point of that tour, when we were in California, we decided to, agree to the contract and did all that stuff and we were staying with a friend in LA and we shot a few pictures in like the the parking lot of their apartment building and sent them over for them to use and you know they put together a quick thing and it was it was basically like that like wow. just within a matter of like a like a few weeks we we had things rolling with them um can't remember what we, other bands were big on run for cover at the time was title fight on there yeah, Title Fight for sure was probably the biggest band. Uh, I can't remember which record they were like touring off of and promoting at the time, but they were a big one. Tiger Straw was a big one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and continued to be a big one. Um, Citizen for sure was like on the rise, and we signed right around the same time. I think as uh, as Turnover as well. Okay. I, yeah, um, but I think Citizen. I mean, they definitely had a part in. And and Jeff at the label, you know, hearing our our first record and hearing our demo. Oh, they're from Michigan too, just, right? They're yeah, they're from uh, they're from Ohio. They're from Toledo, so they're they're close. I mean, yeah. those 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 guys were coming up to to shows all the time, and and we were playing down that way too. So, you know, I wouldn't say we were friends, but we we were aware of each other's music at that time, and we're in we were mutually you know into what, what the other was doing. So they. I think I think for sure put in a good word and like recommended that stuff to to Jeff at the label mm-hmm. and helped help facilitate that in some way. That's cool. But you know, band was uh was booking stuff and operating on some level like independently. So, so I think when a label sees when a label sees that, it definitely it definitely helps with with like a, any sort of decision they want to make that the band is willing to to put in work on their own without any sort of extra support. Right. They see that you're already yeah. like some, some kind of work ethic. Yeah. You're already kind of like building, you know? All right. Can we, can we break for a quick second? I yeah. really, really have to use the restroom. Yeah. Go for it. All right. Hello. Yo, I'm back. Welcome back. Thanks for uh, thanks for waiting. Yeah, no problem. Um, 
So, yeah, it sounds crazy, like a crazy time getting signed. Uh, I mean, yeah, looking back, it kind of was, yeah. Uh, how did, so how did um, Feast of Love was the next record? Right. Um, Can you talk about how that we finished? Happened? We finished that tour, so that was a that was like a, th- a you know a three week thing. Definitely like the the most substantial tour situation I think any of us have been a part of for sure. And uh, and it wasn't like a total bust. Like it was it was rough at times, but you know we came home like feeling feeling okay about things. And I mean, obviously the situation with Run for Cover was exciting. Um, so by, you know, by the time we got home from that tour, our situation had changed entirely. So we, I mean, around that time started making plans for an LP to, uh, to record with Will Yip. I mean, that was all in the works through Run for Cover just because they, they had a relationship with him already. He was, he was had already put out some title fight stuff and had worked with Tiger's Jaw and was, was doing a lot of stuff with their band. So it was just kind of part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we set out a block of time to go out to Philly, stay with some friends and, uh, start recording in Conchahawken, uh, just outside of Philadelphia at studio four with Will. But before that happened, so we got home and, started writing around that time so we were all living at a house in Carytown in Ann Arbor at that point Brady was you know doing school um we were all working jobs around town at that point I was working at the print shop at VG Kids so I was fairly busy with that sort of stuff but uh you know was given given time off here and there enough to at least keep things going with the music so uh, we we booked a tour with uh, with Katie Crutchfield uh, with Waxahachie. Brady, you know, had been friends with her from years back, and uh, we had just signed with Run for Cover. So it just it just kind of worked out at the time. She was doing like a short solo tour down to Florida and then back up the East Coast. Um, so we we did that tour together. It was a lot of smaller spaces, some like some clubs. Um, some, some medium sized clubs is probably about as big as it got, but I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, a really, really fun time, uh, getting to know her better, like through Britty for sure. And then eventually playing a show in Philly where she was living at the time with, uh, all her, all her bandmates, um, her sister as well in a house in West Philly uh was playing in a band called Swearin at the time. Um I think they actually are, are are getting back together and putting out some new music, which is is pretty exciting. Um yeah, they're they're a pretty sweet Philly punk band at the time. Oh yeah. So they so they were all in a house. Um Sam Cook Parrot from Radiator Hospital. He had just moved out that way from Philly. Um so we we crashed at their place in, in Philadelphia on that tour for like a few days when we played, you know, the New York and and Philly dates of that tour with, with Katie and made some, some like really important connections in, in Philadelphia before going out there to start recording that first release with Run for Cover. So it, it, it really 
timing wise couldn't have been better to like do those shows with her and kind of get a little bit plugged into like that Philly indie scene while also, you know, signing and starting to record with, with run for cover, which at the, I would say at the time was definitely more pop punk oriented than anything else. Yep. Um, I mean, I think, I think the shoegaze influence we had going on really wasn't, wasn't like prominent on their label at the time. But yeah, anyways. Um, well, how was, how was, uh, recording with Will at that time? And how, so yeah, like the main thing that I noticed was listening to Dark World and Feast Love back to back was not just the production, which is obvious, but the songwriting, like it was crazy, uh, pumped up the second time around. How, Um, how did that happen? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we went into the recording process with, I would say a pretty well fleshed out record. It's like song wise, um, only because we felt like we wouldn't be able to get it done if we weren't, if things weren't, you know, fully written before we got there. Like if we had left things open ended and, and gone into the studio with like a half written record or like plans to like finish things there. I don't, which bands I don't know do, really what, by the way, sorry, they do ahead. all the time. Yeah. Plenty, plenty of bands go in purposefully to write in the studio, but I mean, just with, school schedules and work schedules for us it just wasn't it wasn't going to happen at the time so we wrote a lot just at the house in Carytown. we were you know we were all under this roof so any any time one or two of us were home we could go downstairs and and work on stuff so there was a lot of preparation that went on in that house yeah i think it really shows um, uh, yeah and and prior to that you know dark world there, there's a, a decent time gap between the two, so I would definitely say, you know, Britty having a, a bigger hand in the collaboration and the songwriting, because when she was on board with the band, we had already started writing Dark World. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was a much more collaborative process when we wrote everything for Feast of Love. We were living under the same roof, you know. It just it just made for a better collaborative process. Um, I would say vocally, I think that that was where we had to do the most work in the studio. I mean, we had, you know, melodies and lyrics and everything written, but went into the studio I think with the mindset that we were open for things to change mm-hmm. if need be only because we had never worked with a producer before. Like we had never worked with somebody to record it that way. I mean, we, we recorded with Chris and I think he definitely, he filled that role in a way when we, when we recorded dark world, Chris from Braver. like, yeah, Chris from Braver, Chris Lou, um, who recorded dark world at the metal frat. I mean, he definitely, used his skills and his, his creativity to like, to make that record happen. Um, but I don't know, going into studio four, it's, it's just a whole, it's a whole different experience. So I think, I think we went into it with like a little bit of a mindset of like, go with the flow to some extent. Did a lot change or no? Mm, I would say, I would say vocally just because Will had so much more experience than us with like harmonizing and stuff. We Mm. worked with him to add, you know, extra vocal tracks 
that I think really helped that record pop off a lot more. Um, but musically, I mean, it was it was really, I think, structurally all there the songs before were there. We, we went into the studio. Yeah, um, there was there was only one part I remember us finishing up while we were already out in Philly. You know, I remember sitting down in Sam's bedroom in West Philly to like finish up a couple parts, but that's all that we we kind of had had to change. So it was nice to just like get that that foundation musically down real real quick and then fine tune it and have plenty of time to work you know almost like as a trio like Sean, Brady and myself cuz Sean throughout the band's you know career wrote all the lyrics and a good chunk of the melodies that I sang for the band so all of like the male vocals you hear on record you know that's that's him writing Really, writing creatively and me performing it. He wrote the melodies um, for for a, a good part of it. Yeah, he wow, he would at, at at least you know have a base idea in his head when he wrote his lyrics of like what it might be, and then we would work together. And then once we got to the studio, I mean, Britty was writing all of her own lyrics and melodies for her songs, but it was it was a real process for us to get to get the vocals and melodies finished. You know, working Sean, Brady, and myself, and Will in the studio to like wrap all that stuff up. Yeah, that's like um, a really unique way of doing things, and like a very kind of specific like connectivity there between you guys to make it happen. Uh, yeah, um, very specific. Like uh, it is very specific, and I, I, I mean, band. it's just it's just a, a matter of circumstance, and you know, it just I, to me, it just made the most sense at the time, like. Especially the relationship between Sean and I and the vocal lyrics. You know, he has his degree in creative writing and poetry. I have right. my degree in, in like visual art, basically, at graphic design, you know, visual art. So I, I spearheaded a, a lot of the, the, the art direction for the band. I, I wrote a lot of the, the music, um, but it just made more sense for him to, to take on that challenge of writing writing lyrics and stuff as as a creative writer um and then once pretty once pretty joined the band you know we we shifted things to to make it work between all three of us but i think yeah i think it ended up being being a unique situation that that made for a unique style on the records you guys were like on the same page obviously of like pop songwriting like verse chorus verse chorus stuff because it's interesting to me at the time, and in the scene that we were both in, I feel like a lot of people shied away from, like, pop songwriting. Like, people were into, like, pop punk and melodies, but it, it wasn't as common, I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, a lot of, all of us included, we were coming out of, like, the hardcore scene, you know. Brady was playing in a shoegaze band, before moving to Ann Arbor, uh, she was in the band Procession that had, you know, some level of notoriety, especially around Grand Rapids and stuff. I mean, she herself just had a level of notoriety for being a part of the DIY scene. But, um, but yeah, we were, we were just coming from a you know, different scene. Uh, but once we, you know, once we all started hanging out, playing music together, playing, you know, throwing stuff on in the car, hanging out or at home or wherever it was, like playing the stuff that we were really, truly influenced by. I was like, oh, there's there's definitely a lot of things here that 
there's a lot of crossover here between all of us of like a, a big 90s pop influence a big 90s alternative influence stuff we grew up listening to when we were younger mm-hmm. you know whatever was on the radio like so yeah a heavy pop influence underneath all of the stuff we as like maybe teenagers and young adults like really championed you know the punk rock stuff and like the the hardcore stuff that is cool to like at the time uh-huh. you know there's there was something else going on influences going on that we kind of discovered as we got to know each other that's um, cool yeah so it's like we we all want to we all want to play we're we're influenced by emo bands you know we're influenced by punk bands we're influenced by indie rock and stuff but at the base of all of all of our favorite bands is like this pop structure so we didn't stray i wouldn't say too too far from it really just made sense to, to incorporate that into like all of our other influences yeah totally um so i don't know how much time we want to spend talking about the adventures split but because it you know it's getting a little long but i do want to cover everything since we're here um, how did the adventures split happen? Was that just through um, off the cover, or you guys were friends with the Code Orange kids? That at release, the time? yeah. So around, man, it's a lot of see. I'm like, I'm not the best with like <laughs> remembering specific like dates and and whatnot. Um, so I think some of the stuff may have overlapped. I may I may get a thing or two wrong, so like I apologize if I if I do. But None. I no I I do so so Code Orange Code Orange kids at the time, um they were touring fairly often. Britty had met them playing a show with Procession and Code Orange Kids. Mm. Um and I just remember, you know, I mean, we were living in a house together. I just remember her saying how good they were when she saw them, uh, when Procession had played with them, and we should go check them out. So they came through and played a show in Lansing, probably somewhere around 2013, I want to say. So we went out basically as like a house to see them. And yeah, it really just blew me away. And that was like the first time I met all of them. Um, but every time, you know, we would head out east to play shows we would we would crash in pittsburgh on the way with you know one of the members of that band um so just just through like hardcore roots and stuff like and then Brady's old band playing playing kind of like a, a random show with with this like young kind of like super aggressive hardcore band um friendship kind of sprung up and you know we would help help each other book stuff or like find each other places to crash when we were you know touring um and uh Kimmy Kimmy Hanauer who does all the artwork for for Code Orange uh she was kind of on tour with them with the band you know helping out and whatnot and that's when we we met probably around 2013 and eventually dated for the better part of like a year and a half almost 2 years um so that that kind of was like a long distance thing she was between Baltimore and Pittsburgh for the tail end of school um, from Pittsburgh originally going to school in Baltimore. So she, she just grew up with all those guys. Um, and when they started 
Adventures as sort of a side project band to Code Orange Kids. Um, that's when we were we were dating. So I was I was coming out to Pittsburgh as often as I could, really, just to see her and like hang out with all those guys. Um, and when they signed to run for cover, um, they were doing kind of a, a series of, of split seven inches at the time. And yeah, I don't know. It was just the time I think at that label where they were really anything. There was a lot of just like cool creative bands getting involved. So we, you know, we just went for it and decided to do a split seven inch, uh, each doing an original song, each doing a cover and just put it out through the label. Just try to have fun with it. Um, it was a fun project for Kimmy and I to work on together, you know, yeah, going out, going out at the time, playing in bands on the same label at the time and then getting to create this this seven inch together you know we we collabed on all the artwork and whatnot yeah it was like a it was a super fun and exciting time for me yeah that's cool i mean it's a great split i really like the acid reflux song off of that one. Oh, thanks yeah i feel like that's definitely like a weirder pity sex track um but it's a fun one uh so here i have you guys were like mostly touring from 2014 to like 2016 or were you taking a break? What was going on then? Uh, we were touring pretty heavy. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm missing things here and there. Like there's definitely some gaps going on as far as tours and stuff. I mean, I, I didn't mention the first full, full U S tour we did after signing to run for cover was with, uh, the world is a beautiful place and mm-hmm. I'm no longer afraid to die. So Jeff, Jeff horrible who was playing guitar in that band at the time was like the, the long time booking agent of pity sex. Um, he, he still now Greg you know, works as a, as a booking agent. Yeah. Greg, um, still works as a booking agent now. Um, but his band at the time took us on tour and that was a whole, you know, eye opening experience opening for a much bigger band. Mm hmm. Having that was right after Feast of Love came out, so there was there was there was a lot of hype hype going on at the time. Um, so that was that was uh, 20, 2013, I want to say. That record came out. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might yeah, have that yeah, I too. think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> is that uh, right? Twenty, yeah, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Yes. Yeah. And and from from then, I mean, pretty much all the way up to twenty sixteen, with a few breaks in between for life shit you know finishing school for some of us and just like relationship stuff and you know moving around a little bit we toured as much as we could given given all that other stuff that was going on yeah dude i don't understand Um, how bands at that level release an album every year i mean yeah it got stressful it got really stressful at times for sure especially with just with the with the school schedules overlapping with band stuff um, I mean, we were crazy sometimes trying to do all the stuff that we were trying to do. Um, but, it, you know, it was like several full U.S. tours. We went to Australia two times. Um, we did a tour in Japan. We went to the U.K. twice. Did you do two Other... Japan tours or was the Japan tour the one that was near the end? Yeah, the Japan tour was, that's the only, only time we went there was 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 the last the last tours we did um so what, that that what? last that last tour in Japan the last tour in Australia and then those last final shows the band played together in the UK 
Was White Hot Moon out at that time, or did that come out after you guys? Oh yeah, yeah, that was all. I mean, those tour dates we had booked to promote White Hot Moon. Okay, so White Hot. So we did, we did, we did a full U.S. tour off that record. Um, that was the tour. Pretty was there for those. With she was there for those shows. Yeah, so we we had Power Bottom and Puddle opening for us on that tour. Oh yeah, I remember that. Mm Um, so White Hot Moon was the third and final record. Yeah. Um, how, how was it different creating that record compared to Feast of Love? There wasn't, it was weird. There wasn't a single point when all four of us were at the studio together because of scheduling conflicts. So writing it was definitely more tedious. I feel like. I don't know. I think deep down, a lot of us felt like things were winding down a little bit, even even while we were writing the record. So I think it comes through a little bit, a little bit of like a, a bittersweet feeling because, I mean, I certainly didn't want to admit at the time, but even while you're writing the record, you feel things changing in the band and like people have like plans that they that they want to follow through with in life. And it's getting harder and harder to like, to make it all work. And that, that definitely reflected in like the whole creative process, like because of all of these different conflicts of interest, you know, we, we were not even all in the studio at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Sean and I went out early and tracked all the, all the, all, all my guitars, you know, all of his drums. And then Brandon came out over a long weekend and just like smashed down all his bass real fast. And then, couple of days later, Pretty came out and she did all her guitars and vocals in like a super quick amount of time. Like we really had to just like get in and get it done and get out. Like there was really no time to like cultivate like a mood or, wow. you know, spend time together outside of the studio. Like we, there was a lot more time for that. I would say recording Feast of Love. See, I wouldn't have um, not really guessed that when I was re-listening to it, I felt like it was almost more solid of a record like i think we we were able to you know produce it the way we did because of all the experience we had you know leading up to that point for sure we were much more proficient musicians and i think just like a little bit more like cognizant songwriters too Mm -hmm. um yeah it feels more mature yeah definitely i mean i think it's a little less like flashy a little more yeah a little more thought out maybe i mean maybe a little less exciting to be honest but yeah there's some stuff there's some stuff on there i'm extremely proud of and there's some stuff on there that i feel like is maybe missed the mark a little bit but when you when you put something out like that it it takes on a life of its own and i've had a few years of distance from all of that so it took some time to process but it's nice to just look back and know that we did some good things and we accomplished a lot. And yeah, totally. I mean, uh, it, basically, it, seems, it seems like there's a decent staying power with those records from, from what I've seen online. So totally. I'm, I'm glad people's people are still finding them and getting something out of them. And it's nice to just separate from that <laughs> and maybe try to do some new things. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. doing a lot more, wanna, a lot more art than music these days. I want to talk about um, the stuff that you're doing now. Um, but basically to just cap off the pity sex stuff, it ended 
after a, you did like two more tours after White Hot Moon, basically, and is that right? Um, yeah. So we, you know, that whole that whole cycle was was happening again, the album cycle, you know. Um, so we did that. We did the full U.S. tour with Pedal and Power Bottom. Um, came home from that tour, you know, pretty tired and exhausted. Even even up until that point, like just on a personal level, I I definitely dealt with feelings of like being a bit of an imposter and like, you know, it was our first headlining U.S. tour and some of the shows, like I just, I don't know if Brittany shared these feelings at all either, but. It just didn't really feel like we were at the level we should be at, mm. you know, to be do, to be doing what we were doing. And I mean, in hindsight, like it's it's bullshit. Like you just do the things you want to do to the best of your ability. Yeah. Um. And like nobody can really tell you anything. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it's all just like, yeah, all just posturing and. It definitely and is. Qu- quite a lot of bullshit, but serious. At the time, you know, it was really heavy for me. I, I didn't really feel like I was performing to the best of my abilities because I had those those conflicting feelings inside of just like yeah I don't know not maybe not feeling good enough or did that play into you wanting to like end the band or was the were you wanting to like keep it going and like try no to... I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it did it's something that I definitely I struggled with throughout um but it was never anything that got so bad that it made me want to end things. Like really, honestly, from a fairly young age, like that's all I really even wanted to do is like what we were doing. So it meant a lot to be doing it. And it just, it, yeah, it made me want to like work through it and get better with it more than anything instead of like give up. Um, but like I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, people's interests were going in different directions it got harder and harder to schedule things and and there was more and more pressure from you know the the business side of of all of it to just like keep it going and make make people money and we had people working for us so there was a lot of pressure there to just like keep going in some way but i think you know it it reached it reached kind of a breaking point for Brittany. and uh after that that full us tour we played we played a final show with her in Grand Rapids, uh, we opened for Best Coast, and that was the last show she played with the band. We made an announcement not too long ago that she was like just gonna go on to like focus on school full time, and uh, we had a fill in. Our friend Anthony, um, Anthony Heibel, who played in the band Run Forever, we knew from a few years back. I don't know if you ever knew that band, but... No, I met Anthony, Pitts, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh indie band, yeah, indie kind of punk band. Um, wonderful people. We met them early on and did some early early shows and touring with them. So he was, he was just a close friend throughout the years. He really swooped in and just saved our butts because we were basically ready to cancel those international shows. Yeah, that would have sucked. Because it just wasn't, wasn't going to work as a three-piece, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so it was a difficult time for everybody. It was a difficult time for me. Um, did you decide, you know, did you decide that the Japan tour was going to be the last tour before you went on it? Or was it after you got back that you guys called it? Um, so we, we booked a handful of shows out to New York. We were going to fly, um, fly out from there. And, uh, those shows, 
or kind of just like a test to just see how it felt, you know, playing without without Brady, having Anthony fill in, and and pretty much just give Anthony, you know, a few shows to like get used to, to to doing shit with uh-huh. the band, and then and then go, you know, play the international dates. Um, so we we had a meeting in in New York with you know the manager of the band and some of the other people involved and. That was basically when it was like decided, like yeah, it's, it's probably like we're probably not going to try to continue to do much once we got home from those international shows. So we reworked the set. You know, Anthony crashed at my place for like a couple weeks beforehand. I taught him everything. We got together and practiced maybe two or three times with him, and. uh and then went, played those shows to New York and went to Japan, played that tour, went to Australia, did those shows, came home for about a week, and then went to the UK, and that was the final tour of the band, yeah. I honestly didn't quite realize it was going to be the last shows we were going to play uh, in UK. I kind of just felt like maybe we would turn it into something else or or make make something else happen oh yeah but once once i got home and we kind of settled back down into things i, I kind of realized pretty quickly everybody was ready to move on oh man how yeah i mean how did I it mean, feel for you it was confusing time for sure like i mean really i did the college thing and i got my degree but i was much more interested in just continuing to play music at that level like it's it's really all i had wanted to do for quite a long time um so so pretty you know she moved to to LA to start grad school at, at UCLA and um Brandon started his grad program at U of M uh Sean moved out to LA and just continued to you know work work in in coffee industry and yeah I've continued to work at the print shop and do do all the custom color mixing and stuff but it, there was a transitional period that was pretty depressing for me oh yeah i can <laughs> imagine know, to go from like playing playing that much to basically playing nothing at all well um, you started you you joined you and chris started senpai shortly after that right that's true yeah that was kind of a brief side project band i mean we <laughs> we went in and, rec- and recorded a, you know a two-song demo at studio four with will over a weekend yeah those are six um, songs yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, um, but I don't know. To be honest, I don't know how well we were all getting along at that time. So yeah, I feel like I feel like it. We were we were too busy with pity sex to really give it the attention it needed. Yeah, I guess but, that was twenty fifteen, wasn't it? That was like 20, yeah, twenty fourteen. So that wasn't twenty fifteen before pity sex had. So ended it was entirely. it was re- yeah, it was really at the height of when we were doing shit. Um, Played a handful of shows that were fun. Yeah, I think played that band one with had, you guys. I think, yeah, that band had a lot of potential, but it just wasn't the right timing. Know, wasn't the right timing. Um, you got to get the formula right, and time well, is a big part of it. You got your second shot with Chris and myself too when we did Death Flags. After that, that was uh, yeah, that's true. That was fun. Death Flags was like twenty seventeen. Uh huh. That was like a post punk. Um, goth band so i mean i've continued to play music in some capacity 
I I gave it probably a year after after Pity Sex, you know, played his played his last show. Um, to just focus on other shit and kind of sort myself out a little bit, definitely. Um, but zone, I've, we I've played picked, it. I've picked things up. Yeah, played a playing bass band. And, playing bass in zone was fun. I, um, I sang. Yes. Uh, and then Goody Head as well is, is another one you've been doing. Yeah, surprisingly, that's kind of that's kind of been picking up a little steam too. You guys that's, got some that's new probably, recordings. Probably, Probably more than anything else, that's what I've been doing most regularly. I mean, like I, I like I talked with you about, you know, possibly trying to do some some more heavy music um, with people around here, but it doesn't seem like that's that's got too much momentum. At Dude, it's so hard. Currently, especially yeah, it's in, tough. In, so, in Southeast you know, Michigan, it's so hard to get anything going. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm not giving up on. I'm playing heavy music in in some kind of capacity, but right now it doesn't seem to be getting off the ground. Well, what's but, what's deal with new Goodyhead music? So Goodyhead's been it's been fun. Um, it's a project I started actually with a with an ex of mine, uh, and uh, and our friend John, who you know as well, John Sortino. Oh, nice! I forgot he's playing in that. Where he was playing in it. Yeah, he was. So he helped us record a like a two song demo, and we we wrote a couple songs with him on drums, recorded it at his house in in Water Hill in Ann Arbor, and just put those online. Um, you know, they're pretty rough lo-fi demos, but it's been a lot of fun playing playing that music with those people. But then, so that was like, uh, man, that was probably like late 2017 early 2018 we did uh-huh. that demo yeah and john moved to philly yeah kind of around the time around the same time you did yeah he had about a um, year on me did he? okay yeah right so so john moved to philly and i kind of just thought goodyhead was like done you know no drummer things fizzled out pretty bad you know we had those those two songs online but we weren't really doing anything i was just like working my butt off at my job and trying to like do more artwork like sort of pivot and like do do painting and i mean i'm continuing to do that and i'm i'm like pretty dedicated to to having some kind of art career yeah and i want to talk about the uh, art stuff i just want to cap off good yeah because i know you had mentioned that that goody head is active again and like you're doing stuff yeah so i basically thought things were dead with with that project um but then we we got hit up through the through the Bandcamp page by a, a band a band called Bear Call from from San Francisco. Um, they had a show booked at the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor and asked asked if we were still a band first and foremost, and if we were interested in opening that show for them. Um, so kind of kind of gave us a reason to like get our shit together and find somebody to play drums and just at, at the very least, you know get a set together and play a show yeah um so we we found we found a guy craig play drums um he's a he's a screen printer at vg kids he's a great drummer uh cool guy and as cool as the vg kids house band kind of yeah i mean devin worked there for for about a year i i craig and i are currently working there um so it's yeah, it's been fun. We we practiced at a spot in Ipsy. We played that show and had a good time and had a decent turnout. Um, 
So we're currently writing for some kind of EP, you know, probably rework and re-record those demo songs. And we've got, we've got at least three or four in the works right now. Um, cool. And we'll see where it goes. I don't know. People want to listen. I don't know to if it. it'll. Sorry. What's that? I was just gonna uh, plug the link. Goody Goody G O D D Y head H E A D dot Bandcamp. Is that it? No, you spelled it wrong. As G O O D Y H E A D dot Bandcamp dot com. Um, so that that's got some old some old demo old demo recordings there. Um, but hopefully in the next year in twenty twenty we'll we'll record some new music and, and get it out there. And I don't know. Right now I I just want to play some shows around Ann Arbor and have a good time, paint some paintings and make a living. Yeah. So you've been doing a lot of art. Um. Uh, you had a gallery lately, is that right? Like a gallery showing? Um, yeah, earlier uh, in the year, um, at the beginning of the summer. Uh, well, it, even did... before even before that, so uh, I guess winter into the spring, I was part of a an artist residency um, through a nonprofit called The Hosting that our friend Anya runs. Uh, you can check that out um, online if you're interested at all in art residencies. Uh, they're doing they're doing good stuff. The hosting in so Ipsy. Anyways, that uh, yeah, Ann Arbor? it's based it's based out of Ipsy. Um, previously, was based out of Ann Arbor in her her apartment space, but she has a a much bigger space in Ypsilanti now, gallery space with um, some art studios. So I was in one of those studios for a few months um, painting making stuff and uh, that kind of culminated in a gallery show at Olympia Skate Shop in Ypsilanti kind of a, a non-traditional gallery space uh, I mean it, it itself is a business you know it's a it's a skate shop uh. with a, kind of a skate area in the back they've got several ramps a garage space built out into a bit of a skate park area so we hung all the paintings in that space and had a, had a big opening night and yeah had a great turnout and I sold a thing or two and uh, we did some some print material as well since I work at a screen printing shop so we made some t-shirts collaborative t-shirts you know between the skate shop and myself and the hosting and uh, sold out all of those so that was that was really encouraging and definitely helped pull me out of like a weird time. How would you like just describe your style of art? Cause I don't know how I would describe it. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty inspired by screen printing, like the industry that I work in first and foremost. I mean, I've worked at, in screen printing all through my music career, all through playing in bands, through college, and that stuff. Um, I've I've worked in some kind of art capacity. So after finishing college, I started working at the screen printing shop, and. Uh, that's kind of been there for me as a way to make money throughout all the music I've done. Um, in between tours, you know, they've, they've welcomed me back to, to come and work. And, um, so that's, that's had a heavy influence on like, on the, the fine art I've done outside of, outside of that job. Mm -hmm. 
just kind of building up layers and texture. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess it is a little bit harder to describe. It definitely has a pop element to it, but it has been evolving as well. Like I'm not, I'm not working as much as I, I, I should be. Um, but I hope that picks up once I get into this new studio space. Yeah. Uh, um, I'd, like, I'd like to just like take what I've done stylistically, which I guess anybody can check out on Instagram if they're curious. Um, I run an account mostly just for my my visual art now. It's just um, Brennan Greaves, right? Your name? Yeah, that's correct. I'll uh, post it somewhere when the episode goes up. Um, one question I wanted to ask, we don't have to go on much longer because I think we're about the end of what there is you know what there is to talk yeah. about yeah how long have we been talking uh an hour and 20 minutes but like 10 of that was not you know okay so it's not yeah, too bad i mean that feels pretty good to me i don't know i definitely rambled no i probably I got some information wrong um i'm sure i sound like an idiot <laughs> no um, dude, I'm just, i think people will be glad to hear is it, I mean, this it's hasn't like, really been verbalized before, like the kind of like timeline. It's like dry as hell in my apartment, so I'm sure I sound nasally. No, you sound... Um, you sound I'm like sure a, I probably said some things that are going to piss some people off. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just disclaimer that, you know, this is all just from my perspective of how things went. Oh, yeah, know? of course. You didn't say anything like, controversial yeah, at all. I, I, try, I, I tried to just be fair and, and like accurate from my perspective of things. No, you sound like um, a king, dude. <laughs> um, I, I like, just I, and I really do appreciate all those years. I I feel very lucky to have been a part of of all of that. Like, um, no, yeah, I mean those records. And, I, and, hold and, up. and in hindsight, it, it makes me really happy that people still appreciate that music and are like into it. Like, I mean, I still get messages here and there from people. Really nice stuff. Like, God, it just makes me. Makes you so goddamn happy here. Uh, yeah, well, I was re-listening to the albums, you know. <laughs> I was re-listening, and I uh, posted a song. I posted Drown Me Out, and uh, I got a couple replies, like, yo, this record still whips. So Yeah, man. And it's it does. They really do hold up. Living. Um, so, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to ask me or anything you want to tell anyone <laughs> um, is there anything you need to tell me personally I feel very on the spot right now I don't really know probably not no, that's life's, cool. life's pretty peachy that's good dude you're, you're, a, great, you're a great dude um, thank you very much I'm very proud of you and all, all the hard work you've done in Blush Cameron oh thanks man and it's, nice, it's nice to see you make your way in a new city yeah, and, uh, I'm gonna drop it all and just start podcasting. <laughs> I mean, I, would, I don't know if this is good or if anyone will find it interesting, but you know, you gotta start somewhere if you want to do it. No, I think like for real, it'd be. I've been thinking about you know. I probably could have explained some of that stuff better. No, I think. And like I said, the timeline's definitely a little whacked. No, I think it went like, great. I, I, I kind of have like a piss brain when it comes to like chronological memory 
No, I mean, um, when people are interested, the people that listen to this are going to be listening because they like their fan, you know? And when you're a fan of somebody, you can, you know, anything they say is pretty much interesting, especially someone like you who is a little bit, you know, off the radar and has been, you know, more quiet. I think people will really dig, how, you know, no matter what you say, I think people will be excited to hear from you. Uh, so I think yeah, good. I I guess that's true. I guess nobody else has really talked about it since the band ended. Yeah. Uh, I mean, straight up, we don't we don't really none of us really talk to each other. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like kind of. I guess it's a little bit sad, but I mean, it hasn't been that many years, really. I mean, in the no, scheme of things. I mean, that's sometimes that's the way life goes. Yeah. Um, so, okay, well, thanks for talking to me, and thanks for doing this. I've been yeah trying to do this podcast thing since, like, I don't know, 2018 is when Chris and I did an episode that we never posted. Um, well, dude, I don't know if you know the news about him moving back into, back to Michigan, but he's going to be around. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, um, I hit him up to do another Try Again episode, because I yeah, think I'm... Yeah, you should definitely, you should definitely talk to Chris... You should, uh, I mean, if you want to, like, you know, talk about what you're trying to do with things here, I'm definitely willing to, like, bounce ideas around with you. Yeah, I mean, we like, just... I don't, know, I, don't know if you've, I don't know if you've come up with, like, a name, logo, or branding for, for any of this stuff, but... Uh, I'm thinking wanna, about just... If you want to yeah, can... brainstorm. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you, uh, your opinion... I'm thinking about just calling it Blush Cameron's podcast. <laughs> uh, come on. You can Is that bad? Cause I, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but but like, I think you can come up with something stronger. Although it might behoove you to like, just do a few and see see what the flavor is like and, and then decide. Yeah, that's the other thing. Know. I was thinking the smart way of doing this, I think, would be to record a batch of episodes and then release them you know like weekly like a series um yeah definitely but then i have to wait for the, that shit. i have to wait for the gratification which is hard yeah so hard <laughs> i got people lined up though but yeah i haven't cool. really thought about the art for it or anything like that i do think it's like something i really should keep doing because it's like i know so many people now that are down i just think it'd be silly not to do Sorry, it my cat's really angry at me she's yelling oh. um yeah i think there's plenty of people that you can uh you can get on here to chat it up about music and art and life yeah and it's like at the level where it's just like just outside of like you know the kind of mainstream podcasts or like more you know bigger bands go on podcasts and stuff but there's no there aren't a lot of podcasts for like this level you know of diy and whatever but i think people would yeah. listen to it so i don't know i think i think there's um i mean if there's a if there's enough of a following for people to show up to shows there's enough of a following to get subscribers to a podcast Definitely. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I got to go make a Craigslist transaction here in a minute. What are you getting on Craigslist? 
Uh, I'm selling some headphones that I got from my work's holiday party. The boss gave everybody <laughs> headphones. You're, you're, you're flipping your Christmas gifts? <laughs> yeah, I really am. Yeah, I got a mini K Keurig coffee maker. Are you selling that too? Yeah, I put I posted it. Nice. It hasn't no offers yeah, I, yet. I should I um I've been meaning to list those Pokemon cards I got. I should do that today. Yeah, I mean, that's gonna be some nice cash there. A decent amount. That's I was crazy. Very surprised. Like I couldn't believe it. But anyways. Alright, I'll catch you later, man. Alright, dude, thanks for chatting. I'll see yeah. you see you in the Discord. Yeah, see you dude. See ya.